Hello there and welcome to episode 26 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. So just when it felt like we'd sunk as low as we possibly could this season, Albion have found new ways to wound us both emotionally and mentally. You see, our away trip to the Terriers was supposed to be a turning point, but another loss coupled with an idea staff performance sprinkled more misery on top of the despair we've been piling up over the last few months. Let the meltdown sirens ring out as our season falls apart, as we find ourselves heading towards the oblivion of the playoffs. But regardless of all of that, you know, I think it's time to sit down and have a very serious chat about Val. And I think the question that most of us are currently asking ourselves is, is it already time to pull the plug on Heart Attack Ball? But before we get to the agonizing, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. Remember to tell everyone you know and love about the podcast. We really do appreciate your support and only ask that in return you love us and relentlessly tell others about the podcast. Let me remind you that we are doing an exciting giveaway of with WBART Inspired. And today I'm excited to tell you once more that the amazing prize that is up for grabs as part of this giveaway is a digital print produced by WBART. It's of Chris Brunt and it's also signed by Chris Brunt. And there'll be a handful of other goodies. This is a great piece of Albion memorabilia for you to hang above your mantelpiece, to put in a a prized position in your house, or if you're feeling very, very generous, what a beautiful, fantastic gift it would make for Christmas for a very precious Albion fan in your life. All you have to do to get involved in the giveaway is to follow us and share all of our posts on Instagram. There will be a specific giveaway related post coming out very, very soon to encourage you to do that. I know a number of you have already been doing it and don't worry, your names have been documented on the list, which sounds quite ominous. But in a few weeks time, just before Christmas, we'll be drawing the winner and we will get all of the gifts and giveaway bits and pieces to you. Just about got through that. But in the meantime, get yourself over to www.rtinspired.co.uk and you can go on there and you can see all of these amazing Albion prints. You can treat yourself to a couple more of them. And when you get to the checkout, it is buy one, get one free when you use the promo code THDC. Buy one, get one free when you use the promo code THDC, which is a great deal, is it not? It's brilliant. So this week we will be discussing our game against Huddersfield, which left a lot of people asking a lot of questions. And perhaps one of the biggest ones that has been bubbling up over the past few days is Val in or Val out. So I guess we have to talk about the game on Saturday against Huddersfield. It was another tough watch for those of the people who travelled all the way up to Yorkshire. It is in Yorkshire, correct? Correct. That is correct. Geography, ting. But for those of us who were trying to get a stream of it, for those of us listening to it on the radio, it was a hard watch, a hard listen. It finished 1-0 
Jamie, I can't let this slide. You've just said it's a geography ting, like Edward's song, it's a promotion ting. <laughs> just brilliant. That's my kind of, that's the Hawthorne Debate Club, like, first single that we're going to produce. It's a geography Geog- ting. My ting was more the um, the bell of success. Okay. It finished... <laughs> One nil to Huddersfield. They took the lead really early on when they broke through our back line. The ball was squared across and Sinani scored a goal just six minutes into the game. There are a few chances for Albion to level it up, but more often than not, Albion looked devoid of any kind of creative intention or invention. A few chances went our way in the first half. Huddersfield always looked dangerous with that potential ball over the top of our high back line. In the second half, things didn't improve too much more. Albion creating very, very little. Despite having 20 shots at four, only two were actually on target. Huddersfield themselves only had two shots on target, but obviously they got the goal, which made the big difference come the end of the game. Jake Livermore saw red, which was a debatable red, I think most people would say. Albion intended to appeal it. That appeal was unsuccessful. It has been announced. So Jake Livermore will now be suspended. And then the 10 men couldn't really do anything else. Taylor Gardner-Hickman had a really good chance towards the end of the game. However, it would have been a screamer if it went in. So that is now four games on the bounce that Albion have lost away from home. And it's another game where Albion just looked hopeless. A result that was just unexpected by most of us. Another performance where it was just so hard to watch. Guys, your thoughts on this game? I've got some talking points that I jotted down about the game. wanted to hear your verdicts on what I've put down here. So first one is the changes in the lineup again. The high line, obviously we caught out, like you mentioned, Jamie, for the goal. The 60-minute sub, the Livermore sending off. The 3-4-2 we went to when we went to down to 10 men. And also bringing on Furlong substitute when we were trying to chase the points. We bought on Furlong, and it seemed to me we bought Furlong on just to throw the ball into the box. The last one was to go along with that Furlong throw, just crossing it into the box when there's no one there to actually finish up. We'll start from the start, which is the changes in lineup. Yeah, I thought changes to the lineup again. I was quite disappointed with the front three that he started, although I did message the WhatsApp group saying strapping Dean Garner's starting. But he's been so disappointing this season, Dean Garner. He's not delivered yet. I'm starting to lose hope in Dean Garner, I've got to admit. But yeah, I think Phillips as well. I mean, don't understand what he's trying to do with that lineup and why isn't he starting furlong as well with the threat from the long throw. I mean, I remember at the start of the season, we had quite a solid starting 11 bar the front three. And we were talking about how good Townsend and Furlong complement each other with Townsend crossing the ball in, Furlong, you know, back post. I just think, I don't know, for some reason, I just think things have gone to pot. There's been a fair amount of tinkering that's going on. I think some of the lineups recently, you do have to take like a second look. They're always something that's kind of slightly puzzling. I think you hit the nail on the head, Alex. It was the front three that grabbed my attention on this match when we saw that it was going to be Grant, 
Dean Garner and Phillips up front. I agree with you. Dean Garner this season, he's got the spark still, but he just seems to be brushed aside by so many players. Even in this game, there was a penalty incident where the Huddersfield player like leans on him, both hands on his back, and there's a shove. And in a lot of games, that could have easily been given as a penalty, but it's just how easily and effortlessly he's, he's like thrown around like a rag doll. And I'm I'm watching games where he gets into really good opportunities, but the defenders only seem to have to lean on him or kind of put their body in the way and completely nullifies his attacking threat. He just looks like really slight and small to me looking at him. I think Grant obviously makes sense starting against his old club. I always love that vibe going back to haunt your old club. So I understand that one. But again, I agree with you, Phillips. I don't know what he brings to the team I know there was that kind of flirting with him playing as the number nine in the summer but when he was brought into kind of competitive games I just thought it was ineffective I don't think he competes for the ball I think he's lost some of the pace that made him so threatening I won't argue that he's probably one of the better finishes in the starting 11 but the problem is we lose so much creativity by sticking up at number nine I don't think he competes for the ball and I love Matty Phillips I think he's been a great club servant but I just don't think he's someone really that you wouldn't spearhead in the attack for promotion campaign so it just for me I know there has to be plenty of rotation with the fact that Robinson's been away on international duty I think Gardner Hickman I, I kind of understand that to be honest he did look really good and Furlong has trailed off a little bit without being too harsh but yeah I think that the lineup changes particularly up front are hurting us more than they're helping us yeah, I did try and do some research into this. I just today, Ooh, earlier today. An uh, early trip to Joe's pirated research corner. This won't last long. I looked at uh, the first four games, you know, when we played very well. We played Bournemouth, Luton. Sheffield United and Blackburn. Yes. And for the first three games, we kept the front three the same from the start. We might have changed the positions from striker and left wing and right wing. And it was... Dean Garner, Robinson and Grant. And the first time we changed it was at Blackburn. Yeah, we did beat Blackburn and that's when Matty Phillips came into it. So I was just looking if there was any consistency there. Three games, I suppose that is consistent for a bit. And I don't know if that's when Robinson got injured or had the COVID and that was the forced change. But since then, it looks like we haven't had any consistency. It does change it a lot because obviously we bought Hugel then. Hugel, not Hugel. We bought Hugo. <laughs> Hugo. So obviously he had to come into the fold. But there's something about his tinkering that doesn't enrage me, but there's sometimes there's no there's no point of tinkering. Let's just go out. We won the last match or drew the last match. We might have played alright, but he just does it. And I know we've got a game on Tuesday and you've got uh to rest the players, but even Connor Townsend said about when he signed his contract, I was watching the uh, the interview with him. He was like Christmas, we've got a very good Christmas period. We've got quite a lot of time off in our Christmas period, not like other teams. That's we've got nice. A, yeah. So we, we shouldn't be out resting these players. You know, they should be good for it. You know, the ones on international break should be rested because obviously Callum Robson starts for Ireland. But like you said, Hugo could have started. I don't know. It's just a bit of a... Hugo. Tinkering for no apparent reason. One, one thing I would just add is that um, I think Carlin Grant is the only player that's playing par at the moment. He's scored eight goals this season. The only player that's got close to that is there's a few players that have scored three goals. But if you just look at 
Mitrovic at Fulham. He's scored 21 goals this season already. It's mad. And uh, I read somewhere earlier that he needs to score another 12 goals in 29 games to to beat the championship record. Now, that just screams to me that nobody's supporting Grant with the goals and Grant's not having an exceptional season. He's just delivering par. Most strikers in the championship this season are scoring around six goals or any striker worth his salt. So I just think that we need, with one of the players not excelling, we need everyone to chip in and they're just not doing that at the moment. That's probably due to a lack of consistency. I think that there's many things that affect the number of goals you score as a team. And there's also many factors, I guess, that affect the output of individual players. From what I've watched of Carlin Grant this season, I've been encouraged by his performances relative to last season. But I'm not looking at like a just under £20 million player or whatever the amount was that we signed him. I think ultimately he scored eight goals, but a lot of the time when he's in the game, he can kind of drift through games and you don't really notice him too much. But then when he does pop up and score, it's kind of almost out of the blue. But I wouldn't say that we create as many chances as Fulham do. Um, And Mitrovic gets plenty of bites of the cherry. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, you could blame the attacking players, but who's providing them with the assists? And I mean, if you, if you look at our team at the moment, you've got sort of three attacking players and then you've perhaps got the wing backs who we're looking at to create goals. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's the most efficient system remains to be seen. I mean, I would be looking at more of assists from perhaps the, the Grant and the Dean Garner or the two wide players. Mm-hmm. I, think I just don't think we're getting the fuel for the goals. I think that's the difficult thing then is what's the source of that creativity problem? And I think if you just trace it back, it's it's Valerian Ishmael's approach to playing football. I genuinely think that he has chosen to play a system which in of itself is meant to be the creativity on the pitch. He's taken out the need for a creative player. I know Pereira probably would have gone, But, for example, Harry Wilson, who went to Fulham for a very modest amount, a player like that, whose sole purpose on the pitch is to generate and create chances. I know Val believes wholeheartedly in this 3-4-3 counter-press with long balls, win the second balls. And then we've explained it a thousand times on this podcast that the closer you are to goal when you win the ball back, the more chances there are of getting shots. Now, Valerian Ishmael came out after the game. We create so many chances, but we need to be more ruthless. It's good that we are dominating and creating chances, but at the end of the day, you have to score goals. And I get what he's saying. It's obvious that Albany needs to score goals, but I feel like the way he's watching the game is completely different to the way fans are watching the game. I don't see us creating chances. I don't see us just struggling with our finishing. The shots that we take are more often than not hopeful or they're not clean cut chances. They'll be crossed into the box where the Matt Clark or Matt Phillips or Carl Bartley or whoever it is has to jump through three players just to get their head on it. And and all of these chances that are just not good opportunities to score goals. Coming back to the team selection, I just have this vision of Val before a game and he's got like a hat and, you know, like he draws a name from his hat for his starting lineup. Who's it going to be this week? And he'll unfurl a little bit of paper and he's like, Callum, you're up today, mate. Let's see who's going to be playing with you. But it won't be an under 21. No, their names aren't put in there. Yeah. No, 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 they're, they're made sure they're not in there. 
I think it's uh, funny you say it's 3 4 3. Furlong and Connor Townsend are not midfielders. I know they're left wing backs and right wing backs, but in their profession, they started out as probably a right back or a left back. So, more likely, they're going to be more of a defensive type of role. So, they will fall back into that and make it a five constantly. So, then it becomes five, two, three. And that's what we've been playing. And that's what brings us on to my next point, the talking point about the high line. We saw it straight away. I don't know who their striker was. They had a bit of pace every time they put the ball over. All they did was punt it over the top. Sorba Thomas was just outpacing our centre-backs because in the end of the day, the only pacey centre-back we've got is a Jay, And he's fell out of favour at the moment, hasn't he? He's not been playing. But to be fair, Kipri's kept his place. I don't think he played tremendously well, but I don't think anybody did. But that high line is so predictable. You know, there was that thing about Man City, Pep Guardiola does a training session at the end and looks at the coming up team's formation. And when he looked at Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's, they just trained for 10 minutes because it was so unpredictable that he couldn't really do it. We've gone the opposite way where people just have to probably look at us for five minutes on Sky Sports one night and go... Oh, yeah, you just punt it over the top. I think on the problems that we've got, and it comes back to, again, this whole Val's rigidity and his inflexibility with this setup, this 3-4-3 system with the high line and, and all of the different kind of components that he brings as part of heart attack ball or Val ball. Like you say, it's not just the fact that it's such an easy system to implement in the sense that you just have a low block. So Middlesbrough, everyone's like... Middlesbrough had six defenders. Okay, well, if it works, teams are going to have six defenders. And then all they have to do is the next team. It's not even that you have to go out and scout Albion and watch Albion and work out a system. You just think, well, Middlesbrough just put six defenders in and then just lumped it forward and it was really effective. So then that's all you have to do. So I do think that it's kind of a, it's not exactly a high energy consuming philosophical football deep dive to work out how to beat Albion at the moment. I think to come back to what you were saying, Joe, because I think it's a really interesting point about Furlong and Townsend's position on the pitch. I think the 3-4-3 system looks like a really good midfield system on paper. But like you say, I think what it more commonly looks like is a 5-3-2 or a 3-2-5, where the most advanced players on the pitch can be Furlong and Townsend at any one point. I know there's different ways that it should shuffle to a back four and different things like that but ultimately the one consistent thing that I see time and time again watching the Albion this season away or at home is that our midfield gets overrun so quickly and whoever the midfield pairing is whether it be Jake Livermore who's taken a beating of myself and other fans this season and Moa whoever it is it doesn't matter who it is because there is just too much for them to do they have defensive responsibilities they have to pick up the ball from the center backs they have to transition it to the wide players they have to win the second balls in attack they have to create opportunities they have to be gambling to get in the box that is too much as well as competing with the opposition midfield there's too much responsibility for that role and i cannot see how you're supposed to function really with it because it never ever plays on the pitch that Townsend and Furlong will be in midfield they're either back doing defensive duties or attacking teams must just be rubbing their hands together when Albina come into play because it means you've basically got a week off in the scouting department because you know exactly what we're going to do 
Al, we know that you've kind of beat the drum for Val. We all did, I'd like to say, do you know what I mean, for a time. But obviously, you've enjoyed watching some of the performances that have raised eyebrows over the last few weeks. What do you make of the system that he's really kind of vehemently sticking to at the moment? So the way that I view it, say if you look at a painting, like a great painting, I think the big picture, he's got so far, Ishmael has done like the outline and he's almost done the theory behind it, which I think is the right thing to do. And I, my school of thought, I, I definitely follow that it's important to have structure and have that identity. I don't like teams that are versatile. I think it's important to have an identity, which we have, even if it's not working great at the moment. But I think where we're lacking at the moment is if you get a magnifying glass and look into detail around that big picture or that system, I think there's a number of failings or I don't think that players truly understand their position within that structure. I think that's a really interesting point that you just made there about team identity. I guess in terms of the identity that we've got now with Valerian Ishmael, I just worry that it's all well and good having an identity and an ideal and a philosophy for the way you want to play football. But if it's ineffective to the point where lower level teams are combating it with kind of minimal effort, I think it was you that said a few weeks ago, Al, that third would be par. I think very worryingly, it's becoming increasingly more likely that holding on to third is going to be something of an achievement. I agree with what you're saying, that it's not everything to just chop and change and be versatile. But when something isn't working, is it the Albert Einstein saying that repeating something over and over again, expecting a different result is the definition of insanity? That's what it feels like watching Albion at the moment. Like... We're doing the same thing. And I I don't think that there's going to be this moment when the penny drops this season and we suddenly start scoring goals for fun and other teams collapse in front of us. Because I just think that what are the teams doing completely and wholeheartedly combats what we're doing. Right, let's kind of wrap up our thoughts on this subject obviously we made the 60 minute sub as joe said one of the more predictable things that we do amongst the host of predictable things that we do every saturday obviously the livermore sending off wasn't really much for turning point in the game val again came out and said that they didn't believe it was a red card it has since been appealed and that appeal has since been rejected like i said i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing really having livermore kind of forced out of the side again i I don't know anymore really I, i don't really know if it it is Livermore's fault anymore I don't know if it's I don't know where I I don't know boys I don't know what to think no I think he's doing in midfield like you mentioned before they're doing two players are doing the job of a four-man midfield aren't they so it ends up you're going to get your yellow cards you're going to get your red cards and that's what's happened I think you are right you also brought up the furlong substitution, which was a really interesting one because it came at a stage of the match where you think, if Albion are going to get anything out of this match, we need to throw on another body that's going to cause Huddersfield problems. Obviously, Valerian Ishmael's answer to that question was to increase our set-piece threat with Darnell Furlong's throwing. I assume that's what the plan was. I mean, apart from the first four or five games of the season, Darnell Furlong doesn't seem to even have many opportunities to take throw-ins, let alone be like as ruthless as he was at the start of the season. You guys got any big thoughts about that? 
Yeah, I just think it was interesting how we sent up Bartley up top. Like you said, we went for set pieces, we went for the crosses in the box. But when we had someone like Robinson, who can score a screamer out of nowhere, who is really skillful and has a good shot on him, and we didn't go for that. It was just, it was, again, a strange... This is the least predictable thing he's ever done <laughs> there in Ishmael. <laughs> <laughs> so. mixing it up sprinkling some excitement in with a furlong substitution it, it feels like climate change to me like it feels like we're just heading in the wrong direction and i feel like there's nothing we can do and that it's just so complicated and you don't even know if it's like how to make the real differences and like, like wholesale changes that need to be made or is it just like just natural <laughs> is it like nothing nothing we can do is it just happening <laughs> I think, uh, but I think the images you've left us with today, Alex, are really kind of amazing images. This image of Valerian Ishmael, the great artist, and him heading us towards an apocalyptic global event is also apt, it feels like at the moment. I'm not sure what the answers are either. Lots of people have been talking about it on social media. Obviously, all of the journalists that usually write for the Albion, everyone's talking about the same questions now. And I guess it all boils down to a very simple one that I said at the very start of the podcast. Is it time to pull the plug on Heart Attack Ball? That's a very good question. Thank you. But let's look at some past managers after 18 games last season. This is not scripted at all. Sounds very (laughs) scripted. So under Big Dave... In 2018-19 season, where there was some good teams in there. Villa beat us in the playoffs. You had Leeds, you had Sheffield United, you had Norwich, Fulham. Under Big Dave, after 18 games, we'd won nine, drawn four, lost five, and we had 31 points. So we were fourth in the league. And to be fair, not everyone was on Big Dave's back, were they? I think the interesting thing that happened that season with Big Dave was obviously he had brilliant goal scorers, but I do think there were big questions about the performances. Yeah. Remember the first game, was it against Bolton, where Albion looked clueless? Looked like we didn't have mm. an idea. And obviously the influence of Graham Jones. And it's interesting for me that... yeah, <laughs> It's interesting that... <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mean to tee Joe up there for his hate campaign. But I think the, the alarming thing about this is that when you look at the, the statistics from that season on the Big Dave and kind of like the mirror of this season is that the final position was comfortably in the playoffs. So, yeah, um, that was under Big Dave under 2018-19 season, the championship. Under Slav, 19-20, 18 games in. We'd won 11, drawn six, lost one, points 39, and we'd be first in the league. Well, we were first in the league. But to go back to what you were saying about should we have Bell in or out, we're third in the table at the, the moment, and Alex has put in our notes, as he does every week. We're nine points off the top, eight points off second, but the alarming thing is that we're nine points off 14th place in the league. And Ooh. after one or two defeats, we could drop down. You could drop down six, seven places with what the championship's like. We haven't beat anybody in the top six this season. Food for thought, indeed. That, that, that is worrying. But what I think up until Christmas now, I think Ishmael really needs to roll his sleeves up, pull his socks up, you know, smell the coffee. And he needs to really up the ante, you know, 
He needs to really do something. He needs to work hard now. It, it has got to a point now where a lot of people are losing faith. You know, if he wants to keep this job, really does need to do something special or he needs to do the basics right, reset, stop, have a look back and then move forwards. That's what he needs to do. I think, you know, you mentioned the philosophy. You don't hear many championship teams that set leads in the last five, six years who've had a philosophy. Bielsa is a renowned coach around the world. Everyone looks up to him. Best coach in the world. You hear Guardiola saying it and everything. He can go out and have a philosophy. But I think when you're in the premiership, when you're someone like Pep, you're someone like Klopp, you're allowed to have a philosophy because you've got loads of money behind you. In a championship, it's very, very dangerous to have a philosophy and just keep being stubborn towards that because you can lose your job straight away. I think he is in a difficult position because if your philosophy doesn't lend itself to success early on, you're going to face an awful lot of pressure. I think I agree with Alex on this, though. I do think the ideal is to have some sort of identity and philosophy. I would argue that Leeds and Brentford have both had that over the past few years and have arguably, arguably been the most successful teams going up into the Premiership. Now, the problem with that identity was it wasn't immediately successful. It required time and patience and investment beyond one transfer window. And they really did allow these, like Thomas Frank and Marcelo Bielsa, they were given time to kind of implement their ideas and the structures. The only difference I would say between Brentford, Leeds and Albion this season is Leeds and Brentford although they weren't necessarily getting the results because they weren't flying at the table. The performances were exciting. The performances are what kept the fans on side. The, the results would be deflating, but when you see a team giving absolutely everything, the problem is going to watch the Albion at the moment is it's almost like the performances are worse than the results. And I was thinking some comments that I've heard made over and over again is that like football fans are fickle. And I think you made that point last week, Joe, and I totally agree we are fickle. But it's almost getting to the point now where I don't even know if results save Val. Because if we get a couple of results in the next couple of games, I don't think everything's right. I don't think people just forget about it. And I think that fickleness that we all ride up and down on the roller coaster with results and we're happy when we're winning and we're sad when we're losing. I genuinely think that the performances have been so destructive for the fan base now that even when we're winning, it's not enough. It, it almost demands a greater level of performance. And I think to come back to these, these statistics, because I really think these are interesting, the ones about the league table under different managers when you look at where we were under Slav and Bilic we were first at this point in the season with 39 points which obviously mirrors where Fulham and Bournemouth currently are we had such a massive blip from November onwards after the Blues game where Charlie Austin brought us back into the game we really went on a bad run of form and then obviously you had the break because of the pandemic and all of these other things that affected us a lot of the players when they came back when I say play we went on a really bad run but we were still so far ahead of Brentford, who were this surging, brilliant side come the end of the season, that we still went up. And I just think now it's almost at a point where we're so far behind that even if we do go on a brilliant run, I cannot see us breaching that gap. So I want to ask you guys a couple of questions. We're going to start with the question I asked you, but this is a kind of a little bit like last week. Do you want to play a game? If there was a gun to your head right now and you had to make the decision tonight for the long-term future of the club, 
for our success, promotion and beyond. Val in or Val out. I would go, and I hate saying this, I would go out. I am going to give a, a little bit of a spill. 20 seconds. Is that all right? It's your life. Okay. Yeah, I'd go out because I think he's predictable with his tactics. He doesn't know his best starting 11 yet. And I know he's still early into his reign, but we played 18 games in the championship. His tactics don't work. It doesn't work. Thank you, Joe, for your honesty in answering that question. Al, the clockwork gun now turns on you. The same question is asked of you. Val in or Val out? Val in. Um, you know, I think he just needs more time. I think he needs at least another transfer window. And I'm looking big picture. And I, I think even if we don't get promoted this season, I would still like to keep Val in and then see how he gets on next season. But I do think he's building something here. You know, I'd, I'd like, I just hope he does well in the next few months. Next couple of months are going to be really important. I don't think he'll have that much time. Good. I think to continue the games, hypothetically then, I'm going to pose a couple of scenarios to you. And again, this is all about you two are trapped in a mechanism here where your answer is needed. And if you don't give the answer, the mechanism kills you in some horrendous way. Um, as long as you're happy to subject yourself to that. Indeed. Why does Joe sound like the serial killer? Tables of turns. <laughs> if you had the choice right now of keeping Valerian Ishmael or taking on Daniel Farker, would you stick or twist? Stick. Interesting. Gold stick as well. I think I didn't actually answer the first question, so perhaps I would have been killed by my own foibles, the mechanism slamming shut upon me. I think this answer to this question might tell you where I'm at with Val. I would take Farker in a heartbeat. Keep your heart attack. I'm having a heartbeat. But the thing is, with, with Farker, isn't he just exactly the same as Ishmael? It's more of a possession-based game, isn't it? Farker is, in my opinion, he throws an abundance of creative players onto the pitch and Norwich just were just ripping teams to pieces. I think watching Norwich last season and even, I guess, in the Premiership, when teams set up just to frustrate with a low block and all of these different things that teams do when they're playing the Albion at the moment, Norwich had players on the pitch that could just unlock the door, unlock the gate or unlock the vault or whatever it is that they were unlocking their players that were technically capable of delivering but the reason i say i wouldn't have farker in now is like you said he, he has all these creative players but we haven't got that at the albion now they've gone our most creative players are our front three you can't play dean go in the middle that's true so i'm val out but I don't think Farker would be the right manager in. I think we'd probably have to keep Valve. I know, I know what's going on here, Jamie. He's after the job, isn't he? <laughs> How's your football manager save going, Joe? Well, I'm doing well with Flinttown, but I applied for too many jobs at other <laughs> clubs and they sat me. But I eventually got Grimsby. Oh, is that a promotion or a sideways move? Oh, it's, it's sideways National League. Mm. Reputation's going up as a manager. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. As a mercenary. 
And the last kind of mechanism I'm going to strap you to into while you answer one last question is, and this one's kind of amusing to me because it just seems absolutely insane that people are even wanting this. Ali gonna Solshire or Ishmael? Can you say neither? Because I think it's a very similar story. What's happening with both clubs? Obviously, he's been sacked now. Ali gonna Solshire, but Ali gonna Solshire had great players, but made them. Like you've mentioned in previous episodes, Jamie played very defensive midfielders and very it was very negative tactics, wasn't it? And I think that's what personally what I think, even though we're attacking this we're apparently attacking under Val, um we're still negative. We start out negative with the three at the back. So I would have neither, but I would stick with Val over Ali Gunnar Solskjaer because I think he's not a great manager. I would go for Val over Solskjaer, but I'd go for Solskjaer over Farke. I did, did I say that right then? The Farke. I'll just Farke. Bleep, I'll bleep it if it sounds too much like <laughs> <laughs> I do like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. If we didn't have Ishmael, I would quite like him as a manager because I think, again, he's, he's a, a bl- kind of guy that builds a culture at a club and gets really into the, the intrinsics of a club. Well, Zidane's ruled himself out of the United job, so perhaps he's, he's heard grumblings at West Brom and he thinks that's the job for him. He could, he could have a, a player-manager role. That would be the best solution. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a solution to the midfield quandary. Let's move on to some new stories. Uh, you two feel free to unattach yourself from the mechanisms that you were plugged into or whatever while we were playing our games. Connor Carlos, Connor Townsend, signed a new contract. That means he'll be at the club till 2025. Hooray? Yeah, I think that's excellent news. He's been a very good player for us this season, so good to time down. Yeah, happy with it. What would he be, about 36, still looking about 17 years old? I cannot believe that Connor Townsend is like 28. That blows my mind. And mine. Albion's women's team. Uh, continue their rich vein of form. They beat Sutton Coalfield Town 4-1. Again, all of the goals and whatnot are on Instagram, so definitely go and give them a follow. Really producing some amazing results of recent, um, and it's good to just support all aspects of the club. So well done to the Albion's women's team. A few hours ago, I posted on our Instagram, and some of you dear listeners have posted some questions. We're going to kind of rattle through these. We've probably answered some of them in our ramblings so far already this season. But season, gosh, this season and episode, has it felt like a season? Yeah, that's it, Jamie. If, if, if we don't answer the question now, they can listen to all the previous episodes. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> answered it like four weeks ago, yeah. The first one comes in from D. Touchy. Is Val the most stubborn man in the world? The great artist himself, is he the most stubborn man in the world? Now, you know what? I've been accused of being stubborn in my time. But Val, uh, he is dug in on his position, man. The guy is dying on this hill. What do you guys think? I agree. He's very, very stubborn. The reason I say this is, obviously, we all know he keeps to his formation. That's his philosophy. He can do that. But the Livermore point when he went to the press and say, you always play your captain, I think that's the most stubbornest thing you can say. On Sky Sports, especially when all the fans are watching an away game who haven't travelled down, to say that is just, he made for a rod for his own back there. An unequivocal yes from Joe, Al. Any thoughts? Yep. And I think he's, he should be proud of it. 
I think it's one of these traits where it's your biggest strength, but it's also your biggest weakness. So I just think he needs to channel that so it's his biggest strength. Beautifully said, Al. This one comes in from Chris Taylor. Love you, Chris. Can we recover the eight-point gap that we currently find ourselves in? No, because I think it'll get to probably 20 points. (laughs) So it's going to grow more than recover. I'm going to do you on a technicality here, Joe. Technically, they can because there's (laughs) 29 games left in the season. Absolutely. Alex, after Dean Garner bags, what would that be? Like 87 goals in the remaining games with his hat-trick once per match. Is that the right maths? Nobody's going to check it. That's absolutely the right maths. If you want to check it, message us. And Chris follows up that question by asking this. Big Dave was harshly sacked. This is, I guess, less about what we want, but do you think Valerian Ishmael faces the chop? Obviously, it's well-documented. He's got a four-year contract and all of these things. I don't think it will be work out exactly that we would have to have to pay him off a four-year contract. I just don't think it works like that in football. Do you think Val will still be our manager come the end of the season? No, I don't. I think we'll lose the next two games and he'll be sacked. I think we'll. I think it will. I think we'll stick with him. I do think he'll turn it around as well. Like I say, I think he just needs the January transfer window to sharpen his tools a bit. I think Val will lose his job in the next couple of games. I, I think the issue that he's got now more than anything else is that I don't know what the turnaround even looks like for him. I think he could win five of the next six. And I just don't think it's enough if we're still performing like this because I think it's any victory we have looks so fragile. The victories we had more recently when we beat Blues and various other things, they were so, by such fine margins, and it definitely always felt like we're papering over the cracks because we never seemed to play well, even when we were winning, unless you trace it all the way back to the start of the season um, where we seem to be a completely different side. And so I think that I cannot even really see a way that he does keep his job. I don't think that the payoff thing realistically in football is going to even be an issue. I think the financial damage of Albi not getting promoted far outweighs the potential financial ramifications of sacking Val early. And I think this ownership cannot afford for Albion to stay down in the championship for a season, not with their desire to sell, but ultimately they've got investors that these they've got to answer to back in China. And I just think these people want something of a return on their money as quick as possible. Last question then. And this comes from Tom from Baggy's Bulletin. Tom's been doing some class stuff about all of this Val stuff. Some great posts that he's just put up about how can Val save the situation. Definitely worth going and reading that. And it's a question that's close to my heart. Which former Albion player had the best hair? Sneakers, Olsen or Jay Rodriguez? I'm going to take this one first. I'm going to go Olsen. I loved Olsen. With the thin hairband. Yeah, he he loved to try and pick out that pass when he couldn't really do it anyway. And he liked good music. Had a bit of interaction with him on Instagram. Loved Bob Dylan. I love Bob Dylan. That makes him have the best hair. So what you're saying is that you're actually biased in this. But you didn't disclose your bias. There's a conflict no. of interest here when I've asked you the question. I don't care. Fair play. Alex? I'm going to agree with Joe. I thought Olsen was a bit of a rock star. You know, I really liked him. Good good defender. But I'm surprised he hasn't added the likes of Paul Sharner 
you know, spray painted his head. That's and, very uh, true, mate. Who else had a good haircut? I'm just trying to think through now. Conor Gallagher. Spray painting your hair is not a hairstyle. <laughs> I've got him on a technicality again. <laughs> <laughs> I think personally for me, and there's a little bit of a story here, it's Richard Sneakers. I met him very, very recently. My son has long, long hair. I also have long hair, and he was at a, a football presentation evening that we're doing. Have I mentioned this on the podcast? You have. Just, <laughs> but go on. It's always better the second time you tell a story, isn't it? Because fans can really feel like they're invested in it too. Um, and Richard Sneakers said that he, he liked my son's hair because it reminded of his own. And then when I was chatting to him afterwards, very lovely man, he also said that he liked my hair because it reminded him of his own. So I'm going to say, Richard Sneakers, you have the best hair. Um, Ooh, hair friends. <laughs> bias. True, true. He bought my love that night. Let's land this podcast now by discussing two upcoming games that we have this week. Our first sees us travel to Blackpool, to the beach. Al, hit me with the nicknames and statistics. Okay, so Blackpool, known as the, the Tangerines, the Seasiders, or the Pool. Um <laughs> <laughs> the pool. Going to the Joe, pool. Did you want to come in with the uh, the spirit animal or human? Sorry. I'd go with what was his name? Taylor Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. He was a big man, wasn't he? But he had some skill and he scored some screamers. So, yeah. I'd go with him. Not going to lie, don't know who he is, but he sounds exciting. YouTube him. He's good. But um, yeah, so they're 10th in the table. So they've played eight, 18, 1 7. Drew five, lost six, with a minus one goal difference. On whoscored.com, their strengths include coming back from losing positions and protecting a lead. So well, that, that's, that makes them sound pretty formidable, really, doesn't it? Alex, it literally so, could say anything there, and I would be like, oh, crap, Albin are going to struggle here. I know, but to be fair, like, if you so if you're losing... You, you come back from that position, and if you're winning, you're good at protecting it. So yeah, they just seem like the best. Are, they, are these some sort of like title contenders or something? Like that seems like, like they can't the lose. Yeah, yeah. But their weaknesses include defending set pieces, aerial duels, defending against long shots, defending against attacks down the wings. So we Ooh. should do all right yeah, based that on that. Okay. Interesting. The, the style is a four-four-two. They like to attack down the left, uh, like long balls, attempt through balls often, play with width, playing in their own half. They rotate their first 11 regularly and their opponents play aggressively against them, apparently. It does sound a little bit like a football manager kind of uh, tactics setup when you, you read all of these things out, which is interesting. But just from listening to your comments there, this idea that they struggle against set pieces and against long shots, that's all we have. We're going to smash these. I'm back on. I'm not. <laughs> I know we it, should. When, when, when we get excited about things, it just comes back to haunt us. So let's just be really negative about it. We might win. Yeah, if, if anything, this is a typical scenario where the theory is all there. Like On paper, we should thrash them. But, you know, it'd be 1-0 to uh, Blackpool. But let's not be defeatist. We're yes. going to win 3-0 with Dean Garner. Nice, nice. Love it, mate. I think your faithfulness to that is just, it inspires us all, really. I think the problem for me is that now it's, you're trying to analyse how these games are going to go and you're, you're looking at matchups and different things like this. 
But I really do think you can just throw everything out about what you've ever seen about these teams doing previous games because all they have to do is just play a low block and knock the ball over the top. They, it's a tried and tested formula against Albion. I mean, every team is capable of that. I mean, it's been proven by some of the poorest sides in the league really successfully using it against us. So I've got to be honest, as a kind of facetious to say, like, that's all we've got. But at the moment, that literally is all we've got. So I think we're, I can see us struggling. The midweek game, obviously, there'll be a massive amount of rotation in the starting 11. Jake Livermore's now suspended. I can see this being a very, very difficult game. And I can see Blackpool taking the lead early on and, and just kind of digging trenches and it being some sort of battle of attrition. Yeah, they seem to do well against the top clubs in the league as well. They've drawn to Bournemouth, beat Fulham, beat Blackburn. They lost to Nottingham Forest. They beat Sheffield United, lost to Stoke, drew with QPR. Who are on our, hot on our heels. On Saturday, they drew to Swansea, who have been in a bit of form since they played us, which is great. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'd be... Sounded like you were mm. drowning them for a second. <laughs> I'm drowning in Albion. Oh, Tears, God, it's yeah. called, mate. I don't like to predict anything negative, but the most negative I can go is their draw, and I think it's going to be 2-2 two, two draw. I'm not one to read the tea leaves as often as you to obviously Alex is entrenched in statistics and he's provided that for his research corner already today. Joe obviously gets into the metaphysical very, very early, but I do believe that I've come up with a better spirit animal. Would you like to hear it? Go on. Ian Holloway. Very good. You cut Ian Holloway and he's like a rock. It just says Ian Holloway all the way through the centre of him from Blackpool. <laughs> Got it. No, gonna... I agree. I think that's I think that's a better one. But Taylor Fletcher is also probably one of the biggest icons from the last 10, 15 years for Blackpool. So very, very good. I'm gonna predict for this game. Oh gosh. I don't know. Like maybe we'll win one nil. I'm sorry. Just say as well, perhaps we can have dual spirit humans. What's that star sign with the pair of them like? Sagittarius? No, it's not. That's no. Astrological Gemini, the twins. Yeah, that's the one. Perhaps yeah. like, that's the kind of spirit that they're letting out. Like. Potentially, I guess, Alex, again. I, I, I looked to the stars for these things and Ian Holloway's face smiled down from the constellations. Let's move on to the Forest game, which is a Friday home game kickoff, which is a bit of a pain. But, Al, let's drop straight back into your research Wikipedia corner. Yeah, okay. So, uh, nickname, the Reds. A bit boring. Um, Forest. Or, here's one for you. Tricky Trees. I've never heard them called that before. I don't know if somebody's... You know, having a laugh here on Wikipedia, but tricky trees. That's I like love that. I'm only kind recalling of them the tricky trees from now on. Yeah, the tricky trees. The tricky trees. Joe, did you want to come in with their uh, spirit human? Well, you could always go for Clough, couldn't you? But Clough, I'm going to go for Richard Bacon. He's from Nottinghamshire. He's got, a, I think, he's got an honours from Nottingham Trent. Isn't he the guy so... that got fired from Blue Peter for doing drugs? Yeah. The Tricky Trees will love that. Richard Bacon, here you are. 
the question is, does he enjoy bacon on a sandwich? Well, we can get him on. That's our next guest, <laughs> Richard our Bacon. Our first ever guest is Richard Bacon to discuss Daniel Farker or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as our next manager. Oh, you know, when you said um, he got sacked from Blue Peter, he was, was he smoked or unsmoked? <laughs> Very good. And that's where the tumbleweed comes through, isn't it? But yeah, so Nottingham, all the tricky trees, 13th in the table. They've played 18 again, won six, drew five, lost seven with a plus one goal difference. According to whoscored.com, strengths include finishing, attacking down the wings, creating long shot opportunities, creating chances through individual skill and coming back from losing positions and stealing the ball, hopefully not at the end of the game, but (laughs) stealing possession. (laughs) The weaknesses include avoiding fouling dangerous areas, so that it looks, sounds like they foul a lot. In, uh, scraping the barrel for these at this point. Uh, aerial duels and defending counter-attacks. The style, so they play a 4-2-3-1 formation. They like to attack down the wings, take long shots, play with width. Opponents play aggressively against them. They're quite a non-aggressive team and they play in their own half. Steve Cooper's the manager, ex-Swansea City. I think he's a really good manager. Yeah, so totally agree. You know, I think they'll be set up quite difficult to beat. I think it'd be quite a good game, this one. I'm sticking with my prediction, but I think this might be a tough game. Yeah, I think Rabin likes to get a goal against us as well. He's scored plenty in the past and he's got that wispy beard. Um, so I think he might be problematic and stuff. I just can't see a scenario where any game we're playing in the near future isn't going to be really, really difficult for us because I just think that when teams frustrate us we have no answer there is no plan b we're just making the same mistakes over and over again I'm gonna have to make a a kind of one all yeah I think you're right with it's gonna be tricky I think like you mentioned that six wins tricky trees uh six wins five uh draws seven losses I think you gotta take away quite a lot of those because since Steve Cooper's come in, he's changed them from bottom to, you know, their form. Yeah, but their form is brilliant. You know, they'll be in the top six. We'd probably be in the bottom five. Yeah, I think this is, I am going to go negative on this and I think we will lose to them because the likes of Graben and the likes of the creativity and the likes of our high line. The creativity, is that a player's name? Yeah. It's like an uh, android in the middle of the pitch. Bring on the creativity. <laughs> and uh, we sacked the creativity from our team. So with our high line, I think they'll pass through it. And I think Steve Cooper's very intelligent manager. who will just look at that straight away and know what to do against our team, like every other manager does in the league at the moment. So, yeah, I'm going to go for a 3-1 defeat. Creativity bot is here to assist. But Dalek? Creativity bot is not. They trademarked Rabbit. Fair enough. Very good. Thank you, Creativity Bot. Back into your cupboard, mate. Uh, Valerian Ishmael doesn't need you yet. Just as a quick final note before we wrap up today's podcast, the under 23s have played again tonight, and Ray's clear he's absolutely smashed it again, apparently. So he's got an unbelievable solo effort. We've drawn one all with Reading under 23s. I don't know what this young lad has to do to get a chance. I know you've got other players like Ryan Tullock ahead of him, but this guy just seems to be really, really special. Another bit of a question mark over what's actually going on under Val's management. But shall we leave it there? Let's leave it there. It's time 
to go. Time to slumber. It's been another long one, boys. But all that remains for me to say is thank you to Alex. Cheers. Thank you to Joe. Cheers. And thank you to everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Sweet dreams. It's a bit creepy. <laughs>